podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Fix with me, Jamie Home, with the season now finished. We thought we'd take the opportunity to have a look back over the season and do it with fresh minds, without emotion, uh, discuss the big moments, the big talking points as they happen throughout the season. And going to be joining me tonight is Gav in what is your third podcast in a row, I think. At this oh, stage, I don't Gav, know. Is it? I don't know. I lost count. I just I just wake up <laughs> and do all this stuff and then go to bed. I don't even know what I'm doing anymore, to be honest. <laughs> Fair play to you. The, the hardest working man in show business at this stage. Yeah. And, we, and we're uh, we're delighted to be joined by James and Adam from the Red Sea podcast. How are you, gents? You well? Yeah, all good, man. All good. Pleasure to have us here. So, um, yeah, James here, Tiago's father, eighty nine on the on the handle on the on the Twitter on the on the on the Instagram everywhere. Tiago's father, eighty nine, and then my Cody over here, SS. Yeah. Talk to me, power. You good? Yeah, I'm really good. Like like you say, it's um, time to reflect, isn't it? It's been the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, but it'll be good to to look back and remember some memorable moments. I'm looking forward to doing it with you guys. And yeah, me and. Me and James have, um, yeah, really been building it up the last few months together on the Red Sea. So it was, um, it's all going in the right direction. Glad to hear. Mate, it. you now say before... reflect. There's some stuff I don't even want to reflect on. Do you reflect? I hope you've been looking for. I hope you've been swatting up because we got a lot to get through, and I'm under strict instructions oh, to keep God. it to an hour and fifteen minutes. Right? It's been, uh, cool. yeah, it's been some some roller coaster. Now, before we we dive into a quick shout out to our sponsor, Football Prizes. This this week's prize is a signed and framed Stephen Gerrard jersey. The tickets are only three ninety five to enter. They're ninety nine tickets available and the offer ends next Wednesday at 7.30 so go check them out on footballprizes.co.uk now Gav I texted you today when I was pulling this agenda and I had an idea that it was a mental season and mm. um, when I started going through the results, I was reminded of just how mental it was, it's been some roller coaster, hasn't it? Yeah it has and you know we get, I suppose it's kind of a happy ending to it but yeah it's been a mad one you know like just even from the first day of the season at home to Leeds and we're on a good roll um, and then Everton happens and Villa happens and then we're okay coming up to Christmas we're alright and then all the wheels fall off we've, we've no wheels um, we're just a car on bricks for about three months and then we decided to put wheels back on it and have a go and the form towards the end of the season is brilliant, but it is look. It's it's actually hard to pick out a season from Liverpool that's not crazy. You know, like if you go through nineteen twenty when they're, they're league champions, it's mad because of COVID. It's mad because I think played twenty nine, won twenty twenty seven, drew one, lost one or something. So that was crazy. Then COVID comes. Then then we come back and it's no fans and you know Chelsea beat City, where champions are. Our team are in a hotel, they can't celebrate. Then you go back to the season before, and us and City are just bashing each other week in and week out, right up like literally what felt like for nine months, and that was mad. And then, like, even when you go to Klopp's four season, we throw all the eggs in the basket of the Europa League, and we decide the league is ah, fuck that, we just go for this, and it doesn't work for us. You know, it's we've a brilliant start to 16, 17, I think. And Mane, I think, goes off, doesn't he, to the 
uh, African nations and we're not great there. All the seasons are mad. They're all mad. But this one especially was just so, you get ups and downs, but this was like up and then just stay down for a couple of months and then back up again. Though it was, I wouldn't call it a roller coaster. It was like periods of just brilliance or awfulness and not much in between. Yeah, now now I want to go back to the start because, as I said, one of one of the things I was looking at is obviously the patterns between the results and, and trying to understand the the form. And as as Gav said, it, it's it's kind of broken into three main blocks. And I want to go back to the very start. Now, come to you first, James. When when the fixtures came out, you know, we, I, I, if you're anything like myself. You want a good start to the season. You don't want too many tricky fixtures. Uh, you want to get a good run of momentum. And I remember thinking when the fixtures came out, within the first five blocks or the first five games, I should say, I think we had Chelsea, Arsenal and Everton. Um, it wasn't an easy start. And we kind of got a microcosm for the season in the Leeds game in that it just showed how mental things were going to be for the rest of the season because yeah. it was some start to the season, lots of goals at both ends. Yeah, I mean, with with respect to all the opponents that we faced at that point, and when you are looking at the fixtures, with how we've been playing the two years previous to that, I'm sitting there going, W, 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 W. Do, do you know what I mean? So it, it, it didn't really worry me too much, but my God, the Leeds fixture, that Bielsa ball gave us a rude awakening, and ultimately our firepower kind of dragged us through, but... I can think of numerous games that we got that little bit of rude awakening prior to the the Van Dyke in, um, injury, and that's when we saw a, a huge change in the way the team was going to play going forward. Um, but as as I said before off camera, I mean we kind of begged for fourth, and we were gifted third. Um, to be fair, so when you look at the season as a whole and, and, and where we've ended up. Uh, we can almost say that we've 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 rode our luck at, at times, but we've also grinded it out. We we've we've done it the Liverpool way, and all of us have been Liverpool fans for as long as we can all remember. And like Gav was saying, I can never remember a season being a Liverpool fan where it's we been easy it going. Easy. <laughs> it's never been easy. It's never been easy. So this for us was just kind of a a walk in a park. And as it says, you know, when you walk through the storm, and we always do, we walk through the storm and we come out on the other end and look. Champions League football, Chelsea bottled it, Leicester bottled it. <laughs> and, and, you know, we, we, we're we the elite team and we we did what we did. And, and what more can you ask for, to be fair? Adam, the, the game against Leeds, when you think back of it, it was kind of an example of um, how you could get at Liverpool. Because one of the things that's been thrown at this Liverpool team throughout the course of the season is our focus on the high line. Uh, we, you know, as the season progressed, we, we certainly didn't waver from that, even if the personnel weren't quite there to, uh, in my opinion, to, to, to play that way. Do you think that that was something, you know, the, the early warning signs were there a little bit that, you know, you can get at this Liverpool team if, the, if we were going to continue to play that way? Um, a little bit. I think Leeds are just one of those teams, though, that we saw this season that they just are so open at the back, but just can continue attacking as well. So I think a lot of Leeds games were quite entertaining. So I don't know if you could say from that game just alone that Liverpool was showing early signs because, you know, it was still rosy. You know, Van Dijk was on the score sheet that day and Mo Salah, I think, got a hat-trick, a um, couple of penalties in that game as well. So, yeah, I, you know, it was a it was a roller coaster ride. I think Leeds came back three times in that game. I'm sure we took the lead three times and they equalised three times. So it was, you know, we were never behind. So I always felt like we were, you know, in control and, you know, we eventually did win that game and moved on. But 
you know, Leeds were obviously newly promoted at the time. We didn't really know much about them. And then, you know, as, as the season went on, you know, everybody was like talking them up at, you know, the entertainers. So I, I wouldn't say specifically that it was early warning signs that you could get at us because, we, you know, we were still pretty much full strength in that game, you know, especially compared to, you know, the run of defeats that we ended up going on. But yeah, I, I think that I think the Villa game for me was more, oh, OK, it's not quite. Where it should be. Said, oh, don't worry. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think I think for me, Gav, one of the first games where I think a lot of people kind of uh, used it as the the benchmark to say, look, how serious are Liverpool this year was the game away at Stamford Bridge. Uh, I think it was actually the first game, if I remember right, where Fabino had slotted back into centre back, and there was a lot of talk pre-match around Timo Werner looking to expose him down the channels. Uh, going into that game. I, you know, I, I was a little bit nervous like the rest of the Liverpool fans, but it kind of felt like that moment where Liverpool stood up and, and made a statement. They were in uh, uh, in control of the game. They moved the ball incredibly well. And, and our mate Thiago came on at halftime and put on a, a passing clinic in, in the second half. It was a real statement from the Reds. It was. And, and, and just quickly going back to the Leeds one, it's funny because Leeds are promoted and come to Anfield on the opening day of the season. Um and I think the, the year previous, Norwich are promoted and are mm. playing at Anfield on the fourth day of the season. I think was the, that was a Friday night because I was at it. Um, and it was it was eerily similar. Norwich came out that time and, and were free-flowing, free didn't care, went for it, got hammered in the end. Um, but Liverpool were leaving them gaps and, and t- nearly tempting them. Leeds had a bit more quality about them, but it was very, very similar, both games, even though they're exactly a season apart when... Like at Anfield that night, I was watching Norwich and, and Cantwell in particular going, he's a player. And but Liverpool just always looked like they could up a gear and up a gear. And I think that was that was the case against Leeds, although the win was quite late. Um but the Stanford Bridge one was great because it absolutely exposed Frank Lampard for what he is and his Chelsea side. And I hammered him at the time and I, I'm not taking any a single word of it back because Frank Lampard was given enormous amounts of money in the summer. And in the second game of the season, I think, I think Gomez plays, does Gomez, Gomez plays the open game of the season, but has a problem and he ends up having to put Fabinho back in there. Right. And Timo Werner about the, the one thing I remember is, Liverpool tip off and Chelsea drop 30 yards immediately. Timo Werner's in his own half. He doesn't go and look for us. He doesn't go looking for Van Dijk or Fabinho or anything. But he gets gets past Fabinho once in the first six or seven minutes and then Fabinho takes the ball off him. And then that's it. Fabinho puts on a masterclass for the whole game. Liverpool are all over them. And I remember having a discussion with an Arsenal fan on a different channel at the time. And he said, but they went down to 10 men. I said, and I couldn't believe what was coming out of this fella's mouth because I was like, did you watch the first half of that game? Liverpool dominated Chelsea from start to finish and did a red card because to, to prevent the goal, more or less. And you're right, Thiago comes on then. We get two good goals. Um, and but Thiago comes on and like against 10 men, like, you know, it's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. You know, it was, he just, he got on it, he turned, he sprayed it. He wasn't looking to be incisive. He, but what, he, what he was looking to do was he was looking to put, he was looking to make the game or the pitch really, really big. And by making it big and not being over, not exaggerating too much, he was giving lads loads of space to then go and look to penetrate Chelsea. And, and I thought it was a brilliant performance from start to finish and a well-deserved win. And, you know, it looked like it's yeah right. It looked like it set down a marker. James, as Tiago's old man, you must have been happy with your boy's uh, debut. 
<laughs> oh mate, listen, ah, uh, it was insane. And and for and for for the record, my youngest son is called Tiago. Um, no so way. he's a player which, yeah, he's a player <laughs> which I've admired for years and years and years. And a lot of people say, oh, you've named your son after a Liverpool player, but he's older than the move to Liverpool. So okay. you know. To see Thiago move over to over to um, Liverpool and then come into that Chelsea game because we can't sit here and think that it's, it was easy for him coming in. Obviously, when he arrived, he was he had a bit of a knock. He got over that. Then there was COVID. He got over that, and then we kind of thrust him into this Chelsea game. And I think it was the perfect game for him to kind of come in and and cut his teeth because my God, everybody knows the passing ability is insane. And and like Gav was saying, the pitch was made big. He was putting the ball in behind for the likes of Salah to run onto. And all he's saying is, here go, boys, have a nibble on that. And ultimately, Chelsea just couldn't get anywhere near him. He was he was five he was five steps ahead of him every single time. There was there was a moment in the game um, and the pass where I absolutely lost it and said, wow, he's put like a curving ball over the top of the back line and it's just dropped in right in front of the goalkeeper. And it's begging for Mo Salah to get on the end of it. And it was just... It, the passing is exquisite. And I'm someone who looks at um, pass accuracy and then pass appreciation. And he's got all of that. You know, you can look at a pass and go flipping out that, that there. And also when you, when you listen to him talk about passing the ball again, having followed his career for a long time, he talks about every pass meaning something. So every pass he he does has got intent on it. There's a reason why he's made that pass. Some players that play in that role, just tick the ball over for no reason. Whereas he's doing it to get an end product, and like I said, in that Chelsea game, they they were five they were five they were five paces off him. They couldn't get near to him, not not even close. Do you know Do you know what it was as well? And if you go back and watch the game, yeah, and you, what you said there is very interesting. He, it, there's intent on everything he does, but even the smallest pass has intent. And what I mean by that was, yeah, especially with Robertson and um, Van Dijk that day. What he was doing was, he was saying to Van Dijk, give us it. And he was taking the ball off Van Dijk, he was attracting a Chelsea player, and he was just popping it to Robertson. And then he was taking two steps to his right, or two steps to his left, and saying to Robertson, now give me back to me, because I'm going to entice this other guy in at the same time, and then I'm just going to turn, and I'm going to give it to Trent, because I've taken two of their lads completely out of the game now. And now they have to, they all have to shuffle 40 yards in in, in a diagonal sense. And Trent was away and he was doing it with Robertson and Van Dijk all the time. He was literally, he was looking for one pass off one of them and then popping it. And then I want, give me it back because his idea was I'll attract one and then by moving I'll attract the second. And you know yourself, he just has that little torn and he's not even looking. He's just torn and he's hitting ball because he knows. Like, it's like um, Grizz said the other day, he's looking at Trent Alexander-Arnold going, he's on my level. He's an absolute footballer and he knows all I have to do is take it on my feet and put it somewhere there and that guy will be on to it. And he, it was, it was a great cameo and, and, um, it was, it was brilliant to do it away to Chelsea as well. Brilliant. There's one thing I, I always thought, I'm the same as, as you, James. I don't think to your level, I certainly haven't called one of my kids Tiago, so I can't claim to be <laughs> a, 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 the, the biggest super van on the, on the podcast. But what, what I always say about Tiago, and we will go down to another topic now, I promise. But, um, when when I watch him play, it's like when you play football with good footballers, they play a pass in front of where you're running. They don't play it to your feet. They know where you're moving and they play it into you so you can step onto the ball. Tiago does that to another level again. And what you're starting to see now is the players are now onto his wavelength. So half the time when Tiago does a pass, he's not even looking at you. 
He's looking out wide right to Trent and then he's fizzing it into Salah's feet and cutting through lines of, of opposition defenders and midfielders. So it's just been fantastic to see him really come to, to the form. We'll, we'll certainly talk about him in the latter stages of the, of the season, in the last time games where, where he really sort of stamped his authority on, on this team. Now, Adam, I want to come to you because we, we kind of come under, I suppose, our, our first difficult period uh early on in the season and one of the things that i wanted to call out was we went out of the, the, the domestic cups we went out of the league cup early and we yeah. went out to arsenal and uh, you know re- results aside where do you sit on klopp's view that he doesn't really prioritize domestic cups because this is one that kind of divides opinion and the, and the mm. reason that i asked the question is and it's easy i'll caveat this by saying it's easy for manchester city to do this because they can field ultimately two squads but Pep prioritises domestic cup competitions, particularly the League Cup, where you can get your first trophy in early. Where do you sit on Klopp's views on on, on ultimately probably turning his nose up a little bit at the the domestic cup competitions? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because if you give up the cups to get success in the Premier League and the Champions League, then I'm all for it. You know, you have you have to look at it, you know the quality and the depth of squad that you have, and I think. You know, ever, ever since Jurgen Klopp's been here, you know, he, he took over an absolute mess. I think we ended up finishing eighth for the first season, but slowly he added the right kind of players for the eleven and, and, and built pretty much the best eleven in Europe. But you know, be, beyond that, it's always been a bit of a drop off, isn't it? You, you, you know, the likes of Origi, Shakiri, um, you know, other players that are in between the youth team and under twenty threes come in, and the quality is, isn't really there in depth. So. You know, do you do you play your first eleven or even half of them when you've got, especially with the Carabao Cup because it's midweek so early on, you've you've normally got a a weekend Premier League match three days before it and three days after it as well. So, in terms of the Carabao Cup, I understand prioritising the league games around it. So I'm not too fussed with the League Cup, but I think the FA Cup one for me that since Klopp's really been at the helm, we've never really done anything particularly interesting in the FA Cup. I think. Was this year the furthest he's ever got with um, when we went out to United? I think it might have been, but yeah. I think you know when when you get to the FA Cup, it comes around in January. You know, it's other than this year where I think there was a few midweek rounds because of obviously a shortened season. I think you know usually in the ones before that, it's you know it's still spread out. You know, it's a Saturday and you might not have a league game till the next weekend. So I would like to see him try and get a little bit more success in the FA Cup. I think it still means. A lot more than the Carabao and, you know, 2006, the last time we won it is, you know, it's far too long. And, and seeing the scenes that, you know, Leicester winning the, the cup and their owner getting on the pitch was really nice. And I thought, oh, you know, I've missed that. You know, I was 15 the last time we won the FA Cup. It's, you know, we're seeing us win the Premier League, seeing us win the Champions League. And me and James have spoke, you know, we'd, we'd like to see, you know, a couple of trophies in, in one season. You know, let's get a cup and a Prem double, you know, great Arsenal size. United got a treble. But, you know, we've never really had that opportunity. And this is the strongest I've ever seen Liverpool in my lifetime. So if we're not going to do it now, you know, when are we going to look at that kind of level? So I think the summer is going to be an interesting one. I think there's a lot we can move on. But I think to realistically, you know, try and win Prem, Champions League and a cup, we need to have three or four or maybe even five come in that are of, you know, decent quality that we can rotate without a massive drop off in, in ability, really. 
So at that period of the season, Gav, off the back of, of obviously going out to, to the League Cup, followed what I can only describe as one of the strangest games that I have ever watched in my time as a football fan. And that's Aston Villa 7, Liverpool 2. Yeah. I I mean, the crazy thing when you actually look at that game, for all of the narrative around Liverpool's defensive woes this season, we went into that game with Van Dijk and Gomez as centre-backs. When you look back at that game, is that just one of those that you put in the, the bottom drawer and you never talk about it again? Or do you think that there was, you know, serious alarm bells there in that in, in that team? Um, you don't put it in the drawer and ignore it. You have a good look at it before you put it in the drawer, I think. Um, <laughs> Ultimately, it goes in the drawer. <laughs> it's definitely in the fucking drawer. It in there, um, yeah. but, but, but you know something like, it's 7-2, there's deflections in there. Adrian has an absolute mare. Um, and I think that that spreads throughout the team, even to the great Van Dyke and, and and others in the team. And and then you look at even and this isn't making excuses, but there's a Stonewall penalty on Salah. You know, there's a Stonewall penalty yeah. on Salah. I think it's two one at the time, and we don't get it. And it's just one of those games. They hit and they they're hitting stuff. It's deflected. Was it four going. deflections? Was it four deflections? I think I think it might have been four or five deflected goals they got. Yeah. And mm. then you have the you have Liverpool get two Salah of course, um, Salah of course uh, gets gets a goal and then the penalty McGinn comes straight across him no intention of getting the ball just slams him straight in, and but it, it actually it actually got um it was laughable Jamie that's being honest with you it got to the stage I think when it got to five I just started laughing and <laughs> and, and and towards it I was looking going just don't let it be a and the reason I didn't want it to be 8 is because you know when these fuckers put up things like 8-2 and I'd hate to and all this sort of shit <laughs> and uh, like keep that for Arsenal you know um, we don't do that around these parts but it, look it was I wouldn't say a wake up call yes I don't think it showed I, I don't think we were exposed you know like if, if a team exposed us to the point where they played through us and outran us and really put us to the sword you go, yeah, but this was, it wasn't that for me. It was, it was lax. It was absolutely no confidence in the goalkeeper. That spread throughout itself, deflected goals. Unfortunate with a penalty decision. I think many things went against us that day, but at the same time, it was one of those where if anyone was kind of smelling themselves at that stage, got thinking they were, they were it because they were Premier League champions. I think that might have refocused them, um, refocused them very, very quickly, I think. I think it refocused us all. It was it was a shock to the system. It was it was one goal away. Was it uh, years ago? They used to have it on the vid printer where if it was nine goals, they'd literally smell. No, it, it was, it. Yeah, <laughs> BBC, BBC done that. Grandstand used to do that, and and they were the ones who mm. started it. If it was seven, they would they yeah. would put seven in brackets. Yeah, grand. Just was, add, was, add, add insult to injury, like yeah. Uh, United they'd let six in the, the game before, and then we went and beat yeah, them. they they'd been beating six one at home to Spurs on the same day, the same they? day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're better off keeping your mouth shut because you're this season in particular. You don't know <laughs> yeah. what's coming next. Don't get ahead of yourselves. James, I want to come to you on, on a game that I have probably spoken about on every single podcast I have been on since that game happened. Every I single am day still, of your life since, I think. Yeah, I am, I'm not over it. I make no bones about that. I am emotionally scarred from this game for lots of different reasons. Um, and that is when we went to Goodison Park. Um, there was a lot of build-up. Uh, Everton were flying. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin was flying. There was a weird advert that had gone out on the TV where Dominic Calvert-Lewin, I think, had pocketed Virgil van Dijk. Uh, and 
basically within the first 10 minutes, I think Van Dijk had clattered Calvert-Lewin about three times. He was bang up for the game. And not being dramatic here, I do have a tendency to be slightly dramatic, but for the first 15, 20 minutes, that was some of the best football I've seen Liverpool play. It was total domination. We were firing the ball around. It had what I felt is going to be Liverpool's go-to midfield in uh, Thiago, Fabinho and Henderson. We were like rabid dogs. And then all of a sudden, our season takes a, t- a turn for the worse and, and ultimately Van Dijk gets injured. Um, and then there was the, the 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 late goal that was ruled offside. I have never celebrated a goal like that in my life. I was knee sliding in the house. I love Jordan Henderson. Like a to kid have. on a wedding. I, I genuinely was like a, like a kid on a dance floor at a wedding. And uh, for that to be chalked out, it, everything that happened in that game was just such a bitter pill to swallow, wasn't it? Mm, mm. Look, I mean, for me, the tackle on Van Dyke um, from 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 Pickford, and do you know what? Just for the record, I hate Pickford. I think he's a terrible goalkeeper. I I don't rate him at all. I mean, my my eldest son plays in goal, and he's a phenomenal goalkeeper. And we always talk to him about not playing like Jordan Pickford because he plays like a dinosaur. His hands are up here and all that. It's, it's, it's horrendous. And then for that, for him to go and injure Virgil van Dijk was just insult to injury. So I, I'm with you on that, Jamie. It was the probably the worst game of football from that moment on that I've, that I've <coughs> witnessed. And then, then there was a dirty tackle on Thiago as well. It, it was just, it was just horrible. And like you said, up until that moment, we were in the ascendancy. They couldn't get near us. They couldn't get near us. Virgil was just up for it, bang up for it. He was putting the tackles in. He was marshalling the defence. He was talking. The communication was there. The cohesive ball movement from back to front. We were getting the ball back, getting it forward again. And Everton didn't know what to do with themselves. They they walked into that thinking, flipping hell, these boys are on it. And we were. We were, we were on it. We were looking to lay down a real marker because up until that point, the season was going well. We weren't, you know, we weren't at full fly flight as we have been. But from that, from that first twenty minutes, we we were in the ascendancy, and then Jordan Pickford comes out. No eyes for the ball. No eyes for the ball at all. You know, I remember watching uh, after that Paul Robinson, um, ex Leeds and um, Spurs and uh, England goalkeeper, done analysis on it, and he was quite he was very critical. Where he said that he could have stopped himself. He had no eyes for the ball. There's no intention to play the ball but every intention to play the man. And Virgil's not really, he's going in for the ball, but he's not hes not running at him at full flight. So he's got no business flying out like that. And you can only turn around and say is that his intention was to injure him or, or to do some leave serious one damage. On leave one on him, basically. And, yeah, leave yeah. one on him. Yeah, and as a goalkeeper, as a goalkeeper, you don't do that. That's not how, that's not how you play the game. Yeah, you come out and you're commanding and you, and you want to win the ball if the ball's there to be won. But that ball was not there to be won. The ball was almost past him. Got no business coming out of there. So looking at that game, like you said, that the, the last goal goes in. I celebrated like a madman as well. Knee sliding and then jumping and pumping the air and beating my chest. And my neighbours are constantly banging the back wall, turning around and saying, will you uh-huh. shut the fuck up? Because you, you're taking too much noise. Um, but at the end of the day, for it to be ruled out as well, what on earth? Like... And you're thinking at that point, you're thinking, yeah, the tide's turning here a little bit. Virgil's gone off. We've had a goal ruled out. Mm. 
I can I can smell a little bit of something happening to this season. And it was at that point, I think um, if I go back and pull up my Twitter timeline, where I've, where I've gone on there, and I was quite critical of the Villa game as well, because I thought we were complacent in the Villa game. Uh, and I also saw a little bit of complacency creep in uh, in, the, in, the, in the game at Goodison as well. And I thought something's not quite right, uh, you know, but like you said, it did, it did crucify the season, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was a tough one to get over. And, and it started for me, and I'll, I'll come to you on this one, Adam. It started for me, uh, probably one of Liverpool's biggest battles or biggest opponents uh, of the season, and that is VAR. We we cannot have a season review without talking about VAR. And Adam, I'm going to read you out some stats, right? I'm not really a big stats man, but I'll read you out a few anyway. Most decisions against Liverpool, 13. Most goals disallowed, Liverpool seven. Most subjective decisions against, Liverpool six. Liverpool have the worst net VAR score in the league. When you hear these type of stats, it's hard. And look, I'm not going to put my tin, uh, you know, my, my tinfoil hat on now and talk conspiracy theories. But when you look at the scale of decisions that went against us, and there's a couple of bad ones that stick out. It's, I think it's Everton, Sheffield United, uh, the Fabino tackle on the edge of the box. Yep. There's the Danny Welbeck one away at Brighton. They all yep. happened within a couple of weeks of, of each other. It was very difficult to, to not think something dodgy was going on at, at this time. I agree. I mean, we're nicknamed Liverpool for some reason. I'm not sure why everyone seems to think it's always in our favour, but... I mean, it's almost like they every time there was a decision, it went against Liverpool. They decided to change the rule the week after. I remember the, the Gomez handball against Man City as well. Ridiculous decision. Just blast it at him. And it's, a, and it's a penalty. I think they missed in the end anyway. But yeah, I mean, you know, I remember Jurgen Klopp's reaction to, I think it was Robertson, wasn't it? Just tried to clear the ball at, at, at Brighton. And, you know, they give the pen in the 93rd minute or wherever it was. And Klopp's just sort of smiling like, seriously? Like, you know, we've absolutely dominated the game. We should have killed it off. But yeah, the... The VAR decisions this season, you know, every single time we score, you know, you're, you're waiting to celebrate and, you know, you're almost having to celebrate every goal twice, aren't you, if, if it does count. But, you know, touching on that Everton one, how on earth that's disallowed for offside with Matt, was it Mane's heel by about, I mean, I, I still don't even think it's offside now. I, I look at it. I don't get me still. started, mate. Don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> it generally doesn't even look like it's offside to me. But like you say, you know, retrospective action and, you know, Pickford on Van Dyke and you know the stats that you read out there, you mean, you know, some of the some of the decisions that some teams like, you know, United have got. I mean I mean I would imagine that they were a lot better off than we are from from VAR decisions, possibly even in the in the pro rather than the, the cons in terms of what they've gained. But I think they even won a game after full time, didn't they? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, they, so they were awarded I, the I penalty think, after the final whistle away at Brighton. Yeah. yeah. Brighton. I just I hope they look at it this this summer. You know, whether that be, you know, do we need to draw millimetre lines on, on the pitch for, for every single goal that goes in? Or, you know, can we adjust that? Because, you know, it, it's so subjective when, when when a player makes contact with that pass. Is it the initial? Is it halfway through the kick? Is it when it releases the, the boot? It just seems you could have five different VAR officials and they'd all make a different decision. So I think we just want to see consistency without it becoming a science you know if it's if it's blatantly offside fine if it's you're literally having to draw a millimeter line on the pitch it's, it's probably too hard to call and stick with the on-field decision that would be my call anyway 
you, you say a word there, and me and Gav have gone back and forth on this throughout the, the course of the season. The, the key word is consistency. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we all want. Um, you know, even yeah. if we don't necessarily know, agree with how it's being implemented, as long as it is consistent. And I think that was the thing that got my back up throughout the course of the season, because you could look at seven or eight different examples of the same type of foul or incident, and they had seven different outcomes. And that, as a football yeah. fan, as a spectator, is just not something that we want to see continue. So there certainly needs to be a, a big thing uh, ahead of next season, because I think it's going to turn more fans off um the, the the game if it if it continues now gav anything to add on var before i come to the next topic gav do you know, know what I, 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 I i'm not a fan i think i i think the premier league have and i've said this multiple times throughout the season and people watching they'll be going oh here he goes again but the premier league have tried to they've tried to make this more difficult than it should be they tried to complicate the issue you know, if you yeah. like, we we watched Liverpool in Europe this season, and a goal goes in, and it's like it's offside, and it just it comes up, goals offside, it's offside. That's it. There, there's no lines, there's no there's no graphs, there's no nothing. It's just they looked at it. It's a, it's offside. Jamie, this uh, you know VAR is is around before this this game, but this is where it breaks VAR. This is where VAR ultimately breaks, because if you remember rightly. The challenge, first of all, on, on Van Dijk, if anyone is defending it, I don't know what, what, what they're at. Because the guy comes out with his two legs straight out in front of him, over the top of the ball, and cleans him out, right? But if you remember, right, the, they're checking for an offside, right? They're checking for an offside. And because they give the offside, I think it's Oliver is the, is the ref, isn't he? Yeah, that's um, be, because Because they give the offside, he then forgets to have a look at the incident. Now, that doesn't matter because if you look at later on in the game, Thiago's folded in half by, by Richarlison after the whistle and Richarlison is, is red carded, right? So you have, your referee is not following up on decisions he should make. VAR, the, the goal itself, look, you could argue all day over the man stuff, but you know, when they draw lines and, and stuff like that, it, they should just make it, they should just literally put them all on a fucking plane, send them over to somewhere in Europe and let them see exactly how it's worked out in Europe and then bring them back and go, that's how you do it. But to me, it's, it sounds like a bit of defiance nearly from the PG, PWGOL, whatever the fuck they call themselves. Um, Wankers, Gav, is the word. Yeah, well, that's probably Wankers. the word as well. Um, <laughs> uh, ale- allegedly. Um, but, you know, it, they, seem, they just seem to have tried to muddy the waters nearly it's like it's a show of defiance against VAR and you've seen it come on from there Jamie you've seen like um, the guy at West Ham was it Kufal or Babuena he gets done for a tackle on Chilwell which was like ridiculous and then they rescind that so they started rescinding stuff then like like James said they're changing rules but they're doing this throughout the season you're not meant to change rules of football throughout the season you know like the offside rule before VAR come in was always, you know, level or behind or whatever it might be as it progressed throughout the years, but you never mm. changed it throughout the season. You said, look, it's probably not working, but at the end, the start of next season, we will review and we will come back and give you some sort of feedback on it. But you were changing stuff throughout. It was horrendous. Like, um, but that day, but that day overall, like, you were walking away from it and you just, anything that could go against you went against you. It, it, and there was nothing you could do about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not over it. I hope hope a good summer will see me good, ready for for the start of next season, and I'll never never pr- promise sure. never to mention it again. <laughs> um, th- there was one thing I suppose that came off the back of that game, and that is the narrative of all oh, Liverpool are one man team, 
And James, I'll, I'll come to you on this one because obviously Virgil van Dijk, in my opinion, is the greatest or is the, is the best centre-back, I should say, in, in world football at the moment. Um, it was always going to have an impact on Liverpool. But if you look at the, the fixtures that kind of preceded uh, the, the Everton game, in particular in Europe, uh, we had three games in, in relatively quick succession. Uh, we played Ajax away, I think was the first one where Fabinho had gone in and, and, and played fantastically well. Uh, we'd gone away to uh, to Atalanta and won 5-0 and we, and we bid, uh, beat Michelin at home. How did you feel, I suppose, navigating those block of fixtures in that, you know, without Van Dijk, we could still put in good performances. We still look solid. And, and for me, Fabinho took to that position like a duck to water. I mean, a, a lot, of, a lot is made of this whole one-man team, and we and we lose one player, and we and we've capitulated. That's wrong for me. Um, Liverpool is a system team, so because we play a particular system, we need certain players to fit into that system. And where we've come a cropper is unlike a Manchester City. We don't have two world-class players to every position to fit our system. The backup brigade is not good enough. So. The only way we're going to fix that is by going out and getting better quality players and start to adopt a rotation format where players are playing 20, 30 games a season in all competitions or 20 games in all competitions, so on and so forth. And I really, really think that this summer, that's the way we're going to go with some of the signings we've been linked with. The form after the Van Dyke injury was sensational. You've just listed some of the results there. Joe Gomez stepped up. He, he showed that he's got it in him to boss a back line. You never would have expected that from Joe Gomez. Fabinho drops into the centre-back position, arguably, which is not his best position. We've seen what we can achieve with him playing, you know, in, in the centre of the park. But he went in there and he'd done a job because, again, he's a Klopp-style player where he can play a multitude of positions. If we look back to his career at Real Madrid, he played fullback. Look back to his um, his career with Monaco, he played fullback. He also played centre-back. He also played defensive midfield. So he's not... It's not new to him to have to rotate into those positions. What it did do was was gave some confidence to the back to the back line, knowing that we've got a player of that ability also playing alongside Joe Gomez. And we all know Fabinho's reading of the game is absolutely sensation. Um, he sniffs danger way before it's happening, and and for that, that's why he was so successful in that in that role. So it wasn't a shock to me that our form continued in, in such a rich vein because ultimately we've got probably one of, if not the best defensive midfielder in the Premier League at Liverpool Football Club. The two roles are in terms of defensive midfielder and centre-back, they kind of cross now. You can you can roll a, cent- a, cent- a defensive midfielder into centre-back role and they will be OK. We saw City do it with Fernandinho and he coped. He did all right. Mascherano did it at Barca as well. Mascherano did it at Barca as well. Um, and ultimately, those centre, those defensive midfielders are normally put into those roles for their ball-playing ability. We're, we're very gifted. Javi Martinez is another one at Bayern. Um, we're very gifted in that we've got a sensational ball-playing centre-back in Virgil van Dijk. Um, where I really think we faltered was the injury and the in-and-out of the squad from Jordan Henderson. That's where I felt we we came a cropper because what it done, it restricted Trent massively because what happens is Trent bombs forward, vacates the space, Jordan Henderson drops into that space to provide the coverage. He's the first son of defence. So if you're, on a, if you're an attacker in an, op, in an opponent, um, in an opposition side, 
you're going to find it very hard to get at our back four. If you then if you then squeeze through, we've got the pace. If you play a ball in behind, we've got the pace to get ourselves out of trouble. So we're able to play that high line. But like I said, if the fullbacks vacate the space, Ginny drops in to cover for um for for Robbo. Hendo will drop in to cover for 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 Trent, and we missed that massively. So it it, it gave the fullbacks the feeling that they were constantly always looking behind them and worried about going forward, and that's a massive outlet for us. Then the creativity. We were starved of creativity in, in, in the forward lines. We were still managing to carve out opportunities, but they weren't guilt-edged chances, which we're used to. And that's where I really felt our problems began, uh, with just a sheer confidence in the, in the, in the, in the lack of uh, the fullbacks being able to go forward. Yeah, I think you make a great point on on the Henderson piece. I'm I was very vocal about Fabinho's ability to step into centre back. I actually think if he was a bona fide a centre back, I think he would be one of the best in the league. I think that the the challenge for me is you can lose Fabinho out of centre midfield if Henderson is in midfield. You can't lose Fabinho and Henderson from the same midfield. Liverpool's structure fall falls to pieces, and and I think then. And we'll come on to it. You know, Klopp, I don't think has been, you know, faultless this season and, and maybe one of the decisions that, uh, you know, on reflection, maybe could have changed things for us is is pushing Fabino out of centre-back earlier and, and just, look, putting his, his money behind the centre-backs and saying, look, centre-backs play centre-backs, centre-midfielders play centre-midfield. But Adam, I want to come to you on, on a topic where, for me... I, I'm I'm very big on I think this Liverpool team is now starting to evolve. We were only talking about it in our WhatsApp group today uh, at yeah. the evolution of kind of Klopp's V2 of, of Liverpool. And I think you've seen a snapshot of that when we went to the Etihad. Um, it was the first time that he played the front four. Yeah. Uh, he very much went with a with a with a four two four formation and ultimately penned Manchester City in for the first half. Ultimately, the the, the legs died a little bit and, and, and I think City got a penalty um, yeah. later on in the half. But for that first 45 minutes, I felt you got a, a real sense of what Klopp is, is planning with this Liverpool team. And it was very brave for a manager to go to a team like Manchester City, who, in yeah. my opinion, the best way to get at City is to attack them. If you can, if you can break and and go at their back line, I think that's why Liverpool have done so well against them over the years. I think you can, I think you can do damage. But ultimately, looking back, it was it was some brave decision by the manager to go gung ho like that. Yeah, it was. I think I think Diogo Jota's form had pretty much played his hand that he had to play him. I mean, I don't think he was ready to drop one of his tried and tested tested front three. But you know, you mentioned that the hat trick against Atalanta. I think he scored a couple of winners in the Premier League around that time as well. Was it home to West Ham, Sheffield United as well? Yeah. Um, so he was a really big player. And I, as I say, I don't think he was ready to drop one of the other three. So that combined with, as you mentioned, Fabinho coming out of midfield, Henderson coming out of midfield, you know, we had to kind of borrow uh, defenders and centre-backs from there. So if you were going to lose a player for a front, you know, you, you've already lost the midfield. You might as well go for a two in midfield and, kind of play Bobby in that hole, which we know he can do in the 10 because he's, you know, so creative. And I think he has lost a little bit in terms of what he was as a number nine in the first few years with Klopp, definitely to now. He's, he's definitely not at that very, very top level anymore. But towards the end of the season, we, we saw him play in the 10 quite successfully in and around Thiago, both of them very similar technical on the ball. So, yeah, going away to Man City, playing the front four was uh, unexpected. Um, I think... You know, at home to some of these low block teams, I think the front four is, is is a good option, and I hope it will be a good option again next season if if they're all still here. 
Um, but yeah, going away to Man City, you know, we, we've been there kryptonite, haven't we? You know, we've um, had some good results against them in, domestically and, and in Europe. So I think Jota's form deserved deserved to start that game. And as you say, it was only the pen. And I think Gabriel Jesus scored, didn't he, in that game as well? But And, and Salah scored a pen as well. So like you say, you, you, know, you take a draw away to City all day long and starting a front four was, was pretty brave. But it's going to be interesting because, you know, you mentioned this kind of period. Jota just got his injury, didn't he, just after this with that kind of Midland game where we didn't really need to play him. But I'd, I'd like to see really next season when we have four to choose from and, and maybe it only goes into three, we can pick the best in form rather than having to just play the three that are available, which is 90% of the time what we've had to do this season. So I'd like to see the, the front four depending on the on the fixture, but I think healthy rotation is just as important as well. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's what I was going to come to Gav with. I think one of the things labelled at Klopp, one of the the perceived errors this season that he made was was starting Diogo, uh, Diogo Jota in that game versus Michelin away. You know, hindsight is you know it's easy with hindsight to look back on these things. Where do you sit on that one, Gav? Do you think that it was ultimately a mistake from the manager and it was needless? And and what I would say is, I think. From from my personal perspective, I actually think there was two more risky decisions that happened that night in that it was Fabinho playing centre-back, who at that time was pretty much our only uh, senior centre-back. And Mo Salah started up front as well. And it doesn't get spoken about. It's only really the Jota one. Well, Jota only gets spoken about because he gets injured. And, you know, Klopp likes rhythm in his players. And look, Jota could have come through that game fine, went back and trained at Melbourne the next day and got a knock. You know what I mean? You can't just pin it down because he played that game. Like, all right, he gets injured in that game. But you can't just turn and go, that's a ridiculous decision, Jota got injured. It can happen to anyone at any time. You know, we, we haven't touched on Joe Gomez yet. Joe Gomez goes to England and gets injured. No one knows how. Nobody's actually come out and told us how he got injured. You know, and like, was it a stupid decision to send Joe Gomez on England duty? Because we were there, we were out Van Dyke, we had Fabinho, Matip was, Matip was being Matip. Um, you know, so it... Look, Jamie, your Liverpool football club, you're in Europe, you pick a team to win, okay, and you you choose who to rest. There wasn't a chance of him going away in any European game and not playing Jota, Salah, Firmino and Mane. Not a chance. Do you know what I mean? Just not going to happen. He decided to go with Salah and Jota. I think the big one for me is Fabinho in that game because you're looking going, hold on, you know, <laughs> there's no one left, lads, and we're, we're bringing this fella um, to play Michelin. But... Look, in hindsight, it looks like a mistake, but it can happen to anyone, Jamie. Like, you can, you can twist, you can twist any situation or any injury that happens and, and say it's, it's the wrong decision. You know, like, if, if Salah is on two goals and you're winning 3 0 and he goes through on goal and pulls a hamstring going through on goal for a hat trick, are you going to say you should have had him off after two? The player's not going to want to come off after two. He wants, he wants the third goal. Do you know what I'm saying? So, look, it can look, it, it, it hindered us a lot. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, you know, if Liverpool had went to, to, to Michelin and played none of them and got beaten 2-0 by that side, you would have went, what the fuck's Klopp at? Why can't he just play him and him? Sure, he hasn't played that much and he hasn't... You know, you can twist it whatever way you want. I think it was unfortunate. I think it affects us as badly as it goes on because you end up with a front three that are playing every minute of every game. And, you know, when you look at other issues like... Um, Mane has had Mane had COVID and I think he's been affected this season by Firmino was off form and just looks knackered and thank God for Salah because Salah's been exceptional but it's one of those decisions that managers make every single week you see managers put players out and they're not fully fit they still play them they still play them 
you know and you can you can twist it whatever way you want but i did i i just thought it was unfortunate and that's just the way i looked at it not to have a go at clap and not to defend them it was just one of those things I agree. Now, James, I want to come to you because at this point of the season, we actually sat, uh, well, it was Christmas Day. Uh, we First 14 games, Christmas Day, top by four points ahead of Leicester. And then what preceded that? I don't think anybody in their wildest dreams can predict that this was coming. Um, you know, from 26th of December, we fell off a cliff. Uh, it started with West Brom at home. Um, during this period of poor form, uh, we hit a, a record club, uh, a club record, an unfortunate club rec- record in six home defeats on the bounce. We went out the FA Cup to Manchester United. Just how bad was this period? And you know, looking back now, what do you what do you put it down to? I always say that voodoo, voodoo. It has to be voodoo. <laughs> Someone's put a spell on us. Let's be honest. Get <laughs> Grubbler back. <laughs> yeah, he's pissed. He's pissed on the post, isn't he? That's what he's done. No, um, look, an SS will back me up on this. I always say that we are being judged by our own lofty standards. It's as simple as that. No one, no one has been close to us, bar Manchester City. And let's have it as it is. I'll challenge any fan, any rival <laughs> fan, bar Manchester City, to look at their form record over the last three years. Um, excluding this season, and look at our form record over the last three years. We've been relentless. We've been relentless. We we went we went so close to being unbeaten in one season, only only losing the league by one point. Back to back Champions League finals where we win one. We then push City hard again. We win the we win the league. We've just been trading blows in Manchester City for three four years. So, you know, ultimately, not that I'm happy about it. We're almost kind of due an off an off point and. You can't have a squad of 22, 26 players playing and, and 11 of them virtually playing week in, week out. Robbo back-to-back 38 games. Um, Van Dyke back-to-back 38 games. You know, Mo Salah the same as well. Mane the same. Firmino arguably the same. So to say that we were, we were almost due and we were gambling, it was Russian roulette in the summer when we let Lovren go. It was Russian roulette when we let Mignolet go. Because ultimately, you know, whilst they were whilst they were bit part players, they were still major contributors to what we were doing as a squad. Because you know, if if Mr. Glass Matip goes out injured, you can throw Lovren in there. And Lovren, Lovren isn't the best defender in world football, but what he was is he was always available. And we always say that availability is the best ability. Yeah. And that's what that's what done us in. The, the lack of availability within the depth of the squad. So that period, that period um, when we went on the bounce and we lost however many home, was it six home games on the bounce we lost? Yeah. Um, that's unprecedented for us as a club in, in, in this phase that we're in. But one thing I can assure you, that's not happening next season. If we've got a fully fit Liverpool and we make the additions, which we know we need to make in order to implement a rotation, then we ain't doing that. I've been screaming revenge tour 21-22 and I'm standing by it. It will be a revenge tour. All these teams, yeah, 100%. It's going to be a revenge tour. All these teams like your Manchester United who have had the best season of their lives. Hmm. You look at the the numbers they're putting out. They've had the best season. We finished five points behind them with a depleted squad. You look at Chelsea. Chelsea have arguably had one of the best seasons they've had in the last three years. Again, we finished ahead of them with a depleted squad. 
City finished 17 points ahead of us. The gap between us and City last year was 18 points. And again, they've had a fantastic season. In, in Well, they've had a good season, not a fantastic by their own standards, but they've had a decent season. Our season's been woeful. So we can only be judged by our own lofty standards. I'm not having us being compared to all this riffraff and crap in the league. We're Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, we don't we don't compare ourselves to this riffraff and crap in the league. All it comes down to is just us focusing ourselves, recharging the batteries. It's a plus that Van Dyke's not going to the championships. I hope Trent doesn't go either. You know, I hope he doesn't go because when he comes back next year, he's going to be on it. You know, I hope Hendo doesn't get a game in the championships either because when he comes back next season, he's going to be on it and we can start the revenge tour. Let's get it going. Let's 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 have it. Thirty eight games next year. Us, off, us fully fit right the way through. City fully fit right the way through. I want to see a strong Chelsea. I want to see a strong United. And then we can put all this crap to bed because I know I know who's going to come out on top. I would just like to take this opportunity to say good evening to any Villarreal fans that may be joining the yes. uh, the stream tonight. Uh, because if you ha- if you're if you're living under a rock and you haven't been watching what seems to be the world's longest penalty shootout, <laughs> judging by the comments in the chat, Villarreal have just beaten Manchester United in the Europa eleven final. ten on penalties. The game is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, and um. Uh, do we get the rights to this instead of um, instead of James? Do we get the rights to Revenge Tour 21-22 because it's on air show? No, you do not. Oh, <laughs> stop it. Um, I was going to say there's a t-shirt in that guy. I'm fucking telling you. I, I'll, I'll put his initials on it. I'll split. I'll split. I'll split. Um, I'll split the proceeds with Thiago, his son, not not Thiago Alcantara. Um, we can talk. You know, we can talk. <laughs> we come to an arrangement. But um, Laura Duffy loves that revenge tour twenty one twenty two. Should be put on a t shirt. So um, if James doesn't do it, we will. But Jamie, it's been interesting listening to the lads there about about um what went wrong and you know what and it's. It's much easier to think about after the season. Like I, I said to you on, or, well, not you, but the lads on on Sunday when we qualify for the Champions League. I, I sat down for a half an hour afterwards and just had to think about the season. And you know, because you do reflect, don't you? Like I remember when we won the league um, last year, we done a podcast live while Kenny was in front of the biggest cabinet I've ever seen in my life in this kitchen, <laughs> and we were great, brilliant and we done a pod when it finished I literally went and just fell onto the sofa with a few cans of beer and just reflected and I've done the same on Sunday and do you know what I think it is Jamie I think when you look at the summer overall and, and, and James was right about Lovren and, and moving players on and stuff like that but I, I think the plan might have been to you know they supplemented with Simakas who unfortunately has injury and COVID so that rules him out and I think he looked he looked promising in pre-season to be fair you know, they bring in they bring in a Thiago who's a bit of a controller in midfield and you know, he's creative and he he gets players he gets players into space so they can they can affect games. You have um Jota who just come on and was on fire. And I think the plan was to this squad can do it with these couple of additions and we can rotate. I think that was the idea. And I think it it was just a bit of a a bit of a perfect storm and I've used that a couple of times tonight, but I think it was Jamie. I think it was, you know, for, in order for this squad to, to really go and do something this season, they needed everyone together. They needed, you know, them fueling each other. And then when need, someone needed a break, you had got, I'm not saying Thiago would be on the bench, but you know what I mean? You have got Thiago in the squad. You've a Jota in the squad and they're coming in and you're looking for impact. And, but it's so hard, Jamie, when you're missing that many players to bring players in and have an impact. You know, like, look, Divock Origi 18, 19 is a brilliant impact sub. 
right? A brilliant impact sub. But he was coming in as Divock Origi into a team that you knew the 10 players that were in it. When you're bringing Divock Origi into a team that you, you don't know who, you couldn't name seven of them before the game started because you don't know who's fit. Then you have an issue. You know that way. And I, I said it all along. I think mental fatigue, physical fatigue definitely set in because players were being asked to play so much football. And not and people will say, oh, well, it all went fucking to shit at Christmas. Yeah, but you have to go back two years before that, all the games they're playing, right? And we do get to Christmas and it does start to fall apart. But I, th- and the physical fatigue kicks in. I think the mental side of it was bigger than the physical side. I genuinely glad, believe that. I'm glad you said that. And I'll stay with you just on the mental piece because you brought it up. You look at the, that particular period, I think there was the collapse away at Leicester. Um, yeah. I think we'd been excellent for 70, 75 minutes and then we, we fell yeah. away. Uh, we, we looked very brittle at the end. I think then if you look, I think Everton came to us shortly after and that was one of the most, uh, look, I'll say it, it was pathetic from us. We didn't lay a glove on them. We, we let them come to Anfield and do what they want. We did not look like a Liverpool team at all. Mm-hmm. Very ma- mentally fragile. Um, and it started to come around that period I think there was the Fulham game that that followed them after us as, as well, mm. that this Liverpool team were broken, mentally broken, mentally fragile. There was the talk of the mentality mouse, uh, the mentality uh, mouses instead of, you know, the, the mentality giants. And do you think it was fair, Gab? Or do you just think, as you said there, it's an accumulation of all the different things that have gone wrong, whether it's off-field stuff, Alisson uh, Klopp went through some personal turmoil, then the spine getting ripped out. And, and I think the big key, and I, and I heard this, and, and I think it's exactly right, the players that were brought in to transform Liverpool, Jota and Thiago, were not actually doing that. They were having to fix us. And that's not what they were brought in to do. And it was just an amalgamation of things that went wrong. And ultimately, we just we hit a sticky patch. Yeah, and when you look at the amount of games players played um, throughout the season, and, specific, and I go back to, you know, players are missing and that's fine. But my main thing this season was the players that are meant to be there when you have players missing weren't there. And if they were there, they weren't good enough. They didn't show up. Like Oxley Chamberlain didn't show up this season. Didn't show up. Naby Keita didn't show up this season. Diva Origi did not show up this season. Sheridan Shakiri, vast majority of the time, did not show up this season. You know, and you look at you look at these players. Simakas is injured, but you let him off. He's injured, he's had COVID, he's he's new to the league. That's fine. You know, um uh, you know, young Williams lad, um, Nico gets, you know, has a bad game, gets absolutely slaughtered for it and the media are all over him. So there's so many things that go on. I, I genuinely think, I think physically, I think I'm so happy the season's over and the, the, as many of them can get a break as possible. Absolutely great. But I think the mental side of it, not only, like you said, Jota comes in and he's brilliant from the start, but then when he gets injured, he comes back and when he comes back, he's literally standing in a fucking boat with holes in it and he's, he has a, a you know, a, a mug and he's trying to fucking empty the water out of it. Thiago's the same. You know, Henderson, Henderson's running around going, you know, where am I playing this week? We had 19 or 20 different centre-back partnerships. 19. And I don't care. I don't care if you have your, your main four centre-backs. If you change them, right, 19 or 20 times a season, you are not winning a title. It's as simple as that. You are not winning a title. If I said to you, you can have Van Dijk and Gomez, but then in two games, it's Gomez and Matip, and in two games, it's Matip and Phillips, and in two games, it's, you know, and it keeps rotating. No matter how good they are, you're not winning a title. You just aren't. And then if I said to you, well, you don't have any of them, I'm going to put 
these lads from midfield into the back. And the lads in midfield that are meant to back you up aren't available. Who's playing in midfield? Curtis Jones got an awful time. Curtis Jones is a 20-year-old lad that's come on leaps and bounds over the last two years. But you can't expect Curtis Jones to turn around. And yes, he has a Premier League winning medal because he played a part last season. But you can't expect Curtis Jones to take a midfield on his back while Jeannie Manaldum is playing fucking four games a month, five, six games a month for Liverpool. And when he goes away with Holland, I think he's playing every 20 minutes because all, all he heard was Gino and Adam scored or played. So there was so much that was going on. And mentally, that has to be so tough. It has to be so, so tough. And that's why when I hear people say, get rid of him, get rid of him, get rid of him, I kind of look and go, well, you, you kind of have to draw a line under the season somewhere and say, you know what? Like James said earlier, we played to such a high standard and we dropped well below it. But we didn't drop well below because then players just all fell off a cliff. We fell below because those players were being asked to play game after game after game. And not only themselves out positions, but the players around them all out position. You know, it's 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 just a mad season. We started off saying at the start, Jamie, and it's just a crazy, crazy season on so many levels. That leads me nicely, and I'll come to you, Adam, talking about mad seasons. We now enter the next phase, and Chris Brack leads me nicely onto it. He says, the last 10 games. And Adam, you know, off the back of... As Gav said, a crazy season, horrific form, looking yeah. mentally flat. Somehow, Liverpool managed to go unbeaten across the last 10 games of the season. They won eight of those games and only conceded six goals in the process. First of all, how the hell did that happen? And second of all, were you like me in the when I was shown the form table for the first time? I think it was when there was around four games left. It might have actually been going to just before we went to Old Trafford. I was like, mm. hold on, how are Liverpool? How are Liverpool that high in the form table? It just nothing, nothing made sense. I think at that point. No, I Jamie, agree. I mean, don't, Jamie, don't let him fool you. He was Mister Skeptic. I had to shut oh, him he? down on so many. <laughs> yeah, he was Mister Skeptic. SS, have it as it is. No, speak no, your truth, son. Speak your truth. <laughs> like, yeah. so when we went on that, when we went on that defeat, you know, round of six games at home, I'm, I'm genuinely looking at. I mean, the Fulham game for me was the one yeah. where I was just like, have, "Have we given up?" You look at the, the team lineup and just everybody's mentality from minute one. You know, Fulham are not a good team. You know, they got yeah, relegated. I think, I think by it was it. a back four of Nico Williams, Nat, uh, Phillips, Reese Williams, and Robertson that day. Yeah, wow. you know, you look exactly. You look at it and you think. Are we looking at the Champions League as the only option now, or you know what what's what's happened? So it, it was a, it was a tricky one, and I was I was really struggling. You know, I, I love Jurgen Klopp, but I was really struggling. I was like, not not calling for him to go at all, but you know, are we going to? You know, we've got to come up with some kind of idea, some kind of different tactic, some kind of different angle to try and achieve what we're looking for, because you can't just keep going into a game. And as a Liverpool fan, you're like, oh, home to Fulham, we're we're not going to win that, and. You know, any, anyone that we're coming up against, you, you're not backing your Reds. And we've been in runs of form where I think we went close with Rodgers winning the league. And, you know, the season we did win the league with Klopp. Every week you go into that thinking, yeah, we'll win. We'll win. We're in brilliant form. We're going to win every week. But it was a total opposite. And it was really hard for me, you know, during lockdown. The only thing that kind of kept us all going, wasn't it? Obviously, was our families and, and watching Liverpool. And once you take Liverpool out, the you know, the picture of not looking forward to that, it's like, oh, what what's... What else is left? So, Adam, well, did I, you turn for uh, turn from believer to doubter? Is that what you're trying to say? I think, I think we had um, doubters to believers. Um, yeah, believers to doubters. We had, didn't we? As the title of one of our videos. Yeah, I've got you confused. Yeah, yeah we, I flipped yeah, we it. Did. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. 
you know, you look at, like you say, you look at the break we had, the international break, didn't we? I think we beat Arsenal and Wolves either side of that. Um, and in and around us, as, as James mentioned earlier, you know, Chelsea, Leicester were starting to get inconsistencies, as were West Ham as well. You know, they'd win a couple and then they'd drop one. And I think we had a, a few chances to go into the top four, um, we, we, you know, in the, in the live league table that Sky like to put on, you know, one nil up at Leeds going into the top four equaliser. One and up at home to Newcastle going into the top four equaliser. So it was really tough, but fair play to them, you know, to go on that run. And for me, the reason that we went on that run was because we had Thiago in midfield with Fabinho. That was the reason for me and where the whole form changed because we've gone from having Fabinho protecting Van Dyke and Gomez to no Fabinho protecting Phillips and Williams and you know, what poor old Thiago playing in the six, doing tackles. You know, we, we've seen him try and do tackles this season. It's, you know, he's Paul Skulls, isn't he? It's not his game, you know, getting a yellow card every week. But once Fabinho's got that blanket and as you mentioned earlier, you know, you've got the likes of Phillips and Williams and, you know, Klopp's finally just said, you know what? All right, the centre-back levels aren't very good, but let's just put, you know, rather than putting round pegs in square holes, let's actually just play centre-backs, play our midfield, Fabinho is fantastic no matter where you put him, but he means so much more in front of that back four. And the way we play in possession, we don't really rely on our centre-backs that much. You know, we, we we look at playing the ball out short. We give it to the full-backs for creativity and Fabinho mops up. You know, you, you have to get beyond him to get at the centre-backs anyway. But yeah, yeah, I think it was, was it seven out of eight of those games or eight out of nine that Thiago and Fabinho started together that we that we won? So I think looking into next season... If you've got those two with Henderson and a Van Dijk and Gomez slash Canate behind them, I think Revenge Tour is uh, is definitely on its way. I'm fully on board. Gav, I'm, I'm going to come to you because um, Adam makes a good point there. And one thing that come, I think, in these, these final 10 games is the emergence of our leaders. And I would go as far as saying, rightly, Thiago absolutely came to the fore. I, th- I felt like he was the conductor. Uh, he learned the rhythm of the the Premier League um, and he, he was pulling the strings. Um, another player that stepped up for me and has been in the news far too much over the course of this season is Trent Alexander-Arnold. And there was a goal against Aston Villa uh, right at the, the the depth. It was it was a Stephen Gerrard-esque goal, right man, you know, stepping up at the right moment when his team needs him. The leadership qualities that Trent Alexander-Arnold has exuded this season has been nothing short, or in the latter stages of the season, has been nothing short of magnificence and he deserves all the praise in the world. He does. Um, the biggest thing for me in Trent this season is how he's come back from a rocky spell. I think what's contributed to that rocky spell has been all those changes at the centre-half. Um James mentioned something earlier about Henderson being in front of him. And I, I've said this for so long. Henderson allows Mo Salah to cheat a football. Um, I've said, I've, I must have said it 50 times on this, on this podcast at this stage. He allows him to cheat a football. I've been at Anfield and watched Jordan Henderson literally bark at Mo Salah if he even thinks about coming back to defend because Henderson sees things and says, I'll go in there and I'll do your bits. You stay where you are and when we win it, you're going to be one-on-one with a centre-back rather than a full-back. And that's one less person to be um, and score. You, know, Trent went through a poor spell. Um, I think mentally, physically, form and Garrett Selke, um compounded that. And I'll say it again, with one of the worst 
pieces of man management I have ever seen from a manager, right? Oh, astonishing stuff. It really was. For a, for, a, for a guy of 22 years of age who has a Premier League title, a European Cup win, he's Young Player of the Year, I think, in England at one stage. And for Gareth Southgate to make the comments he did and more or less pat this fella on the head um, was outrageous. And and he's, he's you know what, it's coming home to roost now because Gareth Southgate is bottling his England squad by name in about 80 of the minute, um, hoping to funnel some out and, and get away with this. And I hope they have a horrendous Euros if, um, if Trent doesn't go, I'm being honest with you. It's good for us if Trent doesn't go because he's 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 fresh. But you have to think about Trent, the person who wants to play for England, and what that could do to him by not going. And he's the best right right fold he have, so it doesn't it makes no sense anyway. But yeah, his leadership has been brilliant. The goal against Villa, um, he's majestic at, at Old Trafford. Like I mean, he's it's it's a it's a fullback. He ran performance. the game from fullback. It's, it's it's a fullback performance that you know when you hear someone say, if you want to watch how a fullback plays football, go and watch this. Trust me, if there's any young lads out there that want to see us play fullback, go and get yourself a copy of Manchester United 2, Liverpool 4, and watch this guy play football. He is, he's, it's, it's ridiculous what he does. You see him away at Burnley, he's good. A pound to pat, you know, he, and he just keeps getting better and better. And you have to remember, like, he's still only 22. He has the guy that plays inside him missing. He has the guy that plays inside him again missing. He's a goalkeeper that, you know, has gone through trials and tribulations and he's been missing at times. He's got the, the fella that plays in front of him missing. You know, he's got the fella in front of him again there that's trying to carry the side, more or less. He's got different people inside him in midfield. It, I think he's being very, very good. I think his bad form has actually made him a better player and more of a certainty to, to be going to the Euros. That's just my opinion. Because it's very easy to look at players and go, he's been brilliant all season. What happens if he gets tough? If he gets tough, does he come over? How does he respond? If England are, if England are 1-0 down with 20 minutes to go, who do you want? The guy that floats through a season or the guy that had to dig in? I know who I want. And it's Trent Alexander-Arnold all day long. I don't, I don't even know where the, the, the discussion is up. You have to give a mention to Andy Robertson as well. I think Andy Robertson hasn't had his best season. I think as... Up to Christmas, he was actually on for player of the year for me. But he gets affected, but he comes back. Look at him in the last 10 games. And when you look around, you're talking about a team evolving, Jamie. I think they've evolved mentally. And what, what I mean by that is that they go out to Real Madrid in around this period, but they keep the league form going. Then the whole the whole European Super League stuff comes out literally on the day they're playing Leeds. You know, yeah. it's, it's at its absolute hottest point when they take the Elland Road. You've got Leeds going on... Look ridiculously with t-shirts saying Erna, you know, which, which came back nicely by the end of the season. You have that going on. Then the, you know, you've got, you've, um, you've Newcastle where they get away with one. That could have killed them. That could have actually killed them. We got away with one. And what happened? This is what we done. But they just kept going. And I think mentally, yeah, we get toward and we were hoping for horror, but I think this will stand so well to the team, to the players that have been through it this season. And also the players on the outside, the likes of Van Dijk, Gomez, Jota for, Jota for a period, Matabiv is still there, Henderson that's been out for a period. They'll be coming back going, you know what? Them boys done us a favour and now it's up to us to repay it going into next season. So, um, you know, James said, said earlier jokingly, um, revenge, revenge tour 2021. I think I, I said it on Sunday, I think it has all the ingredients to be that. 
Yeah, I I agree. And Chris Brack made a comment uh, in in the comments. He said you learn more about yourself through adversity, and I think that's definitely going to be the case. And I think if you look at you know the the, the final few games for me from a personal perspective, and and I've said that on on podcast, I I felt a little bit disconnected to football throughout the course of the season. Actually, post Everton game, to to be brutally honest. But it felt for me like the season came alive at Old Trafford. That was the big one for me, James. You know, it, the, the stakes couldn't have been higher going into that game. It was it was do or die moment, um, and Liverpool went there with all the 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 attempts by Manchester United to put us off in the lead up with the game getting moved and then the, them taking the wrong bus and everything that they could possibly have done that they say was to to process. But ultimately, they did it against Liverpool, and, and it would have had an impact on on our. Uh, lead up to the game we went there and we made a statement for me and we're going to we're going to finish on you know our, our favorite games of the season for me that was the best performance of the season when it really mattered the big players showed up and and, and we made a real statement that day I mean like you said all, all, all the things there mixed into one pot was was terrible we're looking at that thinking my god I mean me and SS were talking right the way through it thinking fuck's sake it's called off again when are we yeah. going to get a chance to play the fixture? We're not going to get a chance to play the fixture. And then all of a sudden we're hearing the bus is a decoy and they're in the stadium. And it's just, it's the build up to it that, that, that just made it perfect for us. And that game, we've not run, we've not won at Old Trafford. I think, was it 14 years? We hadn't won at Old Trafford. No, we won and we the won last, there in 2014. 2014, sorry. We won there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, when we think about that in 2014, the last was that Steven Gerrard with a double, wasn't it? Yeah, in two pence. He misses, two, he misses yeah, one. Yeah. Two pence. Yeah, two pence with a double. Yeah. So that's that's a long time. That's a real long time to be looking at it going, we ain't won here, in, 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 especially in the form that we've been in, playing the kind of football we've played. We ain't gone and whipped them boys in their own backyards. You, you're thinking, Bloody hell, we're going into this game. Is it going to be a draw again like we got last season, the, the Adam Lallana late goal? Are we going to be scrambling for points because we need this? And going there and absolutely playing them off the park and parking them off, it just set things up for the rest of the season. We went on a bounce then. We got that bounce. We got that rhythm. And we talk about favourite games. Mine's the West Brom game hmm. because we're sat there. It's it's one all. And we're looking, thinking, it's done. We don't win this. It's done. But honestly, you, Jamie, you fought it. Gav, you yeah. fought it. SS, you fought it. We all, we all fought it. We, we on it was said on commentary. It was said on commentary, wasn't it? It was basically, yeah. you know, this is this is this is it for Liverpool. Yeah, we all fought it. We all fought it. I sat there thinking, it's done. That's it. Top four's done. We were getting ready to go on a show. We were we were talking about names for the show, weren't we? We were ready, yeah. And yeah, what was what was the, what was the name? Angry tweets written out. Angry tweets written out. Ready to go. Oh, mate, it was yeah, it was ready to rock and roll. We were going in there, all guns blazing. Yeah, and yeah. then, mate, Alison Becker. It's just the yeah. it's just the walk into the box, the sheer arrogance. If you yeah, watch yeah. it back, I've watched this goal back. <laughs> Honestly, I've watched it back about 10 or 15 times, no word of a lie. And the arrogancy, the walk in the box, the commanding look, he's given the glance and he said, do you know what? My head is going on that ball and that's going in there. And literally, it's the shimmy as well. It's the shimmy before he gets up as well. Mm -hmm. He's done it like a proper number nine. It's not like he's just gone throwing himself at the ball. He's walked in the box and said, yeah, stick it here. Here's a little shimmy. 
shakes the defender because everyone's going, oh, no one was marking him. The reason why no one's marking him is because he's made, he's done the shimmy and made the run. He's mm. popped up and he's absolutely, and the technique, the head, he's belted it in. And the celebrations after, you can see how much it meant to him to score that goal. You can see how much it meant to everybody else for him to score that goal. It couldn't have happened to a better player. It couldn't have happened to a more true, honest man. Yeah, based on all the adversity he's had this season, his father passing away, the birth of his child, COVID, stuff going on in Brazil that he can't fly back and attend to, so on and so forth. And that there goes down as the best moment in our season. That mm. is the best moment. And, and again, anyone want to challenge it? Throw one up. Yeah. You're in the comments, yeah, right. throw one up. That I, is the I, best it, moment of the season. It's also the moment where my neighbours will never look at me again the same. For sales, for sales signs <laughs> going up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I legged yeah. out my into team. the garden. And I didn't even try to hide it. I just screamed. No. And and I think it did it for about 10 minutes. Like, I kept going, yeah. the goalie scored. The goalie <laughs> yeah. scored. I couldn't believe The yeah. goalie has just scored. I can't yeah. believe what have happened. I tried to tell me, missus, she didn't Mate. give a shit. I was grabbing the kids and throwing up. It was it, <laughs> me that, as it well. Was me as well. It was mental. <laughs> Harry, yeah. if you got my missus on it now... She'd turn around and tell you that James was like a man deranged. I was running around the house, up and down the top, through the t- grabbing the kids, throwing the kids in the air in the garden. I was My neighbours are Liverpool fans as well, doing the same thing. It was mental, pal. Do you know what I was like? Do you know what I was like? And, and it's a brilliant moment in the season. I have a, a, a favourite game that's not that. But do you know what I was doing? Do you know? Do you remember when Rodgers gets sacked by Liverpool? And Henri yeah. does this thing where he puts his hand on Carragher's <laughs> leg. Right? I was doing that to my wife. I was putting my hand on her going, fucking keepers at the scorn. And she was like, yeah, that's great, Gav. Piss off. Like, I'm literally sick of you talking about football, right? So stop it. Like, if, if it's not watching football, you're walking on football. Stop. And then I, I done it again. And I was like, but no, but the, the keeper. And, I, and she's like, yes, the goal. And she was telling me then, she was like, the goalkeeper has scored. I know the fucking goalkeeper is God. There's not, and no matter how many times you tell me this, it's not going to get into me any for. But then she just said, look, I'm leaving the room. You just talk to yourself, talk to whoever. I'm not listening. And she went away. But um, it was a, it was a ridiculous um, it was a ridiculous moment in the season. Um, my favour, can I give me a favour? Yeah, go on. It's spores at home. It's 100% spores at home. Uh, because... <laughs> They were going for. They were right up at the top. Then Jose, we spent. Jose we spent. The, we spent. Yeah, we spent the days in that leading up to that, and people were telling you that Spurs were title contenders. They were going to go to Liverpool and they're going to win at Anfield that they hadn't done in so long and um, mm. meaningfully. Anyway, um, like I, I just get the feeling that Spurs haven't won at Anfield since Jurgen Klinsmann won an FA Cup game late. I think in about ninety four. Um, but <laughs> it's that game, Liverpool. Are just brilliant. They're brilliant, and Reese Reese Williams was playing centre half. I think. Um, yeah, he was. You know, um, you know, Son gets Son scores, and you know, you're thinking, oh fuck's sake! But the the great Liverpool showed, and not only that, I think for the reaction of Mourinho afterwards, where he said the better team lost, and I was like, holy fuck! You know, if the if the if the writing isn't on the wall here now for Jose Mourinho and sports fans, when will it ever be? You know, and I just thought that night and the, the last minute header for from um Firmino, there was there was uh, people in the crowd, wasn't there? The people in the ground that night. Um it was that for me, that for me was um it was it was absolutely brilliant. I loved I loved that game. 
Well, I'll, I'll go around the room because we, we were going to touch on the, the, the Burnley and, and Crystal Palace games. But to be honest, after uh, the moment after Alisson scored that header, we were only ever getting top four anyway, right? I think mm-hmm. uh, nobody can dispute that. It was the, it was the perfect way yeah, to it finish. Yeah, from then when it was in the back. That was it. It was on the, you know, the devil's <laughs> club, reincarnated it yet again. Uh, <laughs> these things only happen to Liverpool, I'm telling you. I'm absolutely convinced of it. Now, yeah. Stephen, who runs our Twitter accounts, um, he's been doing a poll over the last couple of days and he's been asking all of our followers for their player of the season, goal of the season, game of the season, best signing of the season. So Gav's given, and, and I'll give you the results uh, uh, now, just so you can see how the, the viewers have voted. And then I'll, I'll go around the room and get yours. So we started with game of the season. So Gav has given us his, uh, his which was Tottenham. The viewers went with 4-2 Manchester United away, 74% of the results with Crystal Palace second, Spurs away, 3-1 third, and Leeds at home was the, the fourth. So, Adam, what was your yeah. game of the season? Well, there's been some classics, isn't there? I mean, Atlanta away was really fun. The 5-0 Josh Patrick, I really enjoyed that. Uh, I think we beat Leicester 3-0 as well around the center of the time. Um, that, I really that was enjoyed a great that. performance at home, actually. Yeah, we yeah. Were- I really enjoyed that one. I mean, even the Wolves game at home, I know they weren't in the greatest of form this season. With but the fans back. Yeah, with the fans back and Genie doing mm. that little outside-the-box finish. Um, I remember that goal really well. That's one of my favourite goals of the season. And who can forget the Crystal Palace 7-0 away as well? I mean, who who doesn't love goals? You know, seeing seeing seven goals go in in the right end, not the wrong end. So, they was they were some classics for me. But my, my favourite game, yeah, was, was the last one, the Crystal Palace game. On the final day of the season, me and James did a watch along together, you know, Gillette Soccer Saturday style. We had a, a Leicester fan reacting to Tottenham scoring. And then you you hear me and James in the background going, get in there. Come on, boys. <laughs> you know, cuts to us and, you know, we, we say our thing. So personally for me, that was my that was my highlight of the season. You know, Liverpool finishing third from pretty much talking myself into accepting we might be in the Europa League to actually coming above Chelsea and Leicester is still I'm struggling to get my head around it. But yeah, the, just just to be with James on that day and, and experience that together was was a really good moment. Can I make a request? Oh, are you cute? Look at that. It's lovely. Oh. It's lovely that, isn't it? Can I make a request? If you're if you're doing watch alongs and we're winning seven nil, can you do a watch along for every single Liverpool game next season, please? <laughs> well, we only did it for the Palace. But the, we did the home game, the two nil. That's what I want. I meant the final day. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. James, what about you? What was your what was your favourite game? He's given West Brom. Oh, oh no, yeah, he's given the moment. Yeah. That's your moment. It's 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 so for, for favourite game. He's got to be the four two win um, over over United as well. You look at the Mo Salah celebration and what it meant to him to score that goal with the captain's armband on. That's all he's wanted since he's been at Liverpool. You know he was made up when he scored that goal. Um, so that's got to be my favourite my favourite game. Um, and just to, just to, the emphatic nature of the performance. Like we we walked in there ten foot tall, and from the moment we kicked off. It was like right, let's have them. Let's let's actually have these boys and take them by the scruff of the neck, get the game by the scruff of the neck, and lay down a marker to let everybody know that we're still in this. And that just shows the mentality um, on the boys. So yeah, that's got to be my favourite game. Good man. Now, player of the season, it was a, a whitewash with our uh, with our with our followers. Eighty percent of them voted for Mo Salah. Yeah, it's Mo. Everybody's in agreement. It has to be Mo. Unbelievable. Yeah, 
It's it's most and, and the disrespect is there's a there's a question that came in from one of our listeners, Mo, specifically around Salah. Uh, and the question is, why is he so underrated by some of our fans in the media? And and I still think it's criminal. I can't get over the fact he wasn't selected in Carragher or Neville's team at the season. What is it, Gav? That why does he not get the credit that he deserves? He's a machine. I don't know. He he has he's 125 goals for Liverpool and 200 games or something, is it? Something along that mm. Um I think he's about 170 goal involvements in 200 games for Liverpool. Um, mm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether people after he left Chelsea have been in a coma and have only woken up and just think Mo Salah is brutal because all they've seen of him was his time at Chelsea. He is an outrageous footballer. He's an outrageous footballer. And I don't know whether it's because Liverpool have won things and, you know, like he's tr- he's treated differently, and I don't know whether it's a bit of, you know, you know what I think it is, but what I might what I might be, but it's, he's just brilliant. He's just a brilliant footballer. Like you look at his stats, and it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, a hundred and I think it's one hundred twenty four, one hundred twenty five goals in two hundred games, something like that. And I'm sorry, but if you if you're if you're scoring or being involved in probably 170, I'd say it's close to um, goals in 200 games. How are you underrated? How how is anybody even doubting you? It's 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 madness, and it can only be some sort of uh, a touch of racism from people. Um, it, that's all it can be. That's all because I put it to you this way: uh, that's if he was English, if if he was if he was Harry Kane, right? And Harry Kane has a ridiculous scoring record, right? Nobody underrates Harry Kane. Nobody. Nobody. They just don't. You know? And Salah, there's so much, um, there's so much attention on Salah. And what I mean by that is, he scores a great goal and people go, great goal. He goes down easily in the box and it's, that's you. That's you sort of for a week. You know? You turn on Sky News and that's what you, you will get for a week. And I'm sorry, but uh, listen, there's a very simple question to this, Jamie. You find me supporters, one supporter of the other 19 teams in this league and ask them what they take Mo Salah in their side. And you can sure. throw in Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Juventus, whoever you want, all the big clubs in Europe and ask them, would you take Mo Salah in your team? And there's not one of them that would honestly say no. Not one. Because I promise you, if COVID wasn't here and you put players up on the market, right, everyone was on the market, right, Mo Salah would be in, in my opinion, the top two Three, maybe in the world for price. That's it. There's, the only reason to the only reason to underrate Mo Salah is a, a stubbornness, right? In your opinion, and that's going back to when he played for Chelsea or where, when you watched him in Italy for periods, or it's just you're just clueless. You're you're not very fucking bright. It's I, I can't put any more blunt than that. I really can't. Hey. I think it's jealousy from other fan groups. That's a great word. Yeah, that's a great word. It's a combination of things for me. It's a combination of things for me. Um, the first, the first and foremost thing is he plays for Liverpool Football Club. You look, you look back at the 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 number nines and and the forward players that we've had. That's one thing that we've never lacked as a forward player. Um, even in some of our worst teams, we've had Fernando Torres, Suarez, Michael Owen, Fowler. Dalgleish, Keegan, it it just goes on generation after generation. But none of those players have ever got their flowers. 
Michael Owen was World Player of the Year, which which is now the Ballon d'Or. He never really got his flowers. Went to Real Madrid, he was 11-11 off the bench. Did he ever get his flowers? No, because of his association with Liverpool. And look, guys, the fan base don't like Michael Owen now really for obvious reasons, and I'm not a huge Michael Owen fan. But we cannot ignore the fact that he was a world-class footballer. But because he wore the red of Liverpool... You're, you're dead right. But the thing was, if you remember rightly, when Michael Owen breaks mm. through in 97 and going into 98 mm. in the World Cup, it was always England's Michael Owen. And that's the way they tried yeah. to paint him. You know, yes. <coughs> Michael Owen was scoring goal after yeah. goal at Liverpool. Like He goes yeah. he goes away to Newcastle in ni- the start of 98-99 and he tears mm-hmm. Newcastle apart with a hat-trick. Right? Uh, yeah, new yeah, rear the, end. The celebration with Williams, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and he's scoring and all they talked about was World Cup hero you know, World yeah. Cup star Michael Owen. Next it was never Liverpool's player, Michael Owen. Yeah. Now, and, yeah. and what killed and Michael Owen is he bought he bought into that a little bit. And that's what hurt mm. Michael Owen probably the most. Well, apart from mm. leaving for pittance in the end. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't I just don't get it. You're right, but what you're saying, when it's, it seems to be when it's a Liverpool player, you know, it's Yeah, it's, Stephen Gerrard's the same. Stephen Gerrard's saying one of our most celebrated midfielders um of our of, of this generation, one of the most celebrated of this generation, still to this day does not get his flowers. He just got inducted into the Premier yeah, League Hall true. of Fame. You've got, you got Chelsea fans running on the timeline going, well, he's not Frank Lampard, is he? Fuck off. Frank couldn't, Frank couldn't do what, what Stevie did. Frank couldn't get close to what Stevie did. Yeah, Frank won titles. Respect to Frank for that. But you're seeing evidently Stevie had a better football brain. Look at what he's doing with Rangers. That's his football brain that's doing that. Look at where Frank is. Bottled it with Derby. Bottled it with Chelsea. Because you can see that they're just not the same. There's levels to it. And just flicking back to Mo Salah, the other thing is is that, again, with, with respect, he's African. He's an African player. African players are not celebrated in the same way that Spanish, so Spanish players are or European players. They're not celebrated in the same way. And that's not a fan-based problem. That's an image in the game. You look at players like George Ware, World Footballer of the Year, his name's arguably been forgotten. He's not celebrated in the same way that other players are celebrated. You look at you look at top world class African players like Samuel Etu, one of the one of the most predatory um, strikers again of his generation. He single handedly, um, when Pep said that you're not going to be part of our team, single handedly won, won Barcelona um, one of their trophies because they were they were coming off the back of the Rijkaard era. And he was just there scoring goal after goal after goal after goal after goal. He, he, he just not celebrated. Um, I can name more. Uh, so I just think with Mo Salah, you've got a difficult mix for the for the purest football fans. And it's only purists that are getting him. It's not, it's not the new generational fans. The new generational fans understand Mo Salah. He's an inverted winger scoring the amount of goals he's scoring. Imagine if you put him close to goal. He'll obliterate Harry Kane. You put him in. You put him as a number nine, and you saw. And a player that I liken it to is when Mourinho did it with Ronaldo. He moved Ronaldo from a winger to a number nine, and we've now probably got one of the most deadliest number nines, even at the grand old age of 34, 35, that the, the world has ever seen. If you can make that, if 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 Klopp can make that change with Mo Salah and get him closer to goal, you think about his goal contributions. You think about his chances and ratios to goal. He will be deadly, deadly. And then people might stand up and take notice. We've got one of the best footballers or best players in world football. Absolutely. 
And he's one of I the don't think I, I don't think <coughs> I don't think he'll ever get the credit while he's playing. And no. and and if he doesn't get it while he's playing, he definitely won't won't definitely won't get it when he stops. You know, mm. that's that's just my opinion, and I think it's up to Liverpool to to let people know how good he is, and, and Liverpool fans for and for you know are good at that. I just think he's. I just think he's a ridiculous footballer and there's no other way of putting it. Like, you know, it's, it's like people would say Ronaldo, you know, and cause Ronaldo played for United. Ronaldo was outrageous at United. Outrageous. Thierry Henry, outrageous. But Mo Salah mm. is right up there. Mo Salah is right up there for the impact he's had, um, on the team he plays with, the goals he scored, the assists. He's right up there. And I can't understand for the life of me how people just don't turn around and go, he is just one of the best. It's as simple as that. It doesn't Definitely. make any sense to me. Now, two things to finish on before we wrap up, because I said I was going to keep this to an hour and fifteen minutes, yeah, but I basically tried. <laughs> yeah, sorry, mate. I tried to I tried to cram a season into a show, so it's not the it's not the easiest mm-hmm. thing to to do. Two quick ones to finish on. So we have goal of the season. Our uh, followers voted Allison seventy four percent for for obvious reasons. Yeah, it's never it's I, never in doubt. Yeah, I I have to go with that. Anyone anything different? Some good ones, weren't they? I think was this um, Trent against Villa, which you mentioned. Yeah, that was third in, in our vote. Mm, I think mm. Salah, Salah at West Brom, Salah at Palace, Firmino at Palace. Yeah, the, the Salah, Salah, the Salah at West Ham. West, West Ham, <laughs> the one where he brought it down and That's finished it. it. That was, a, that that was, was some good. goal. There was a good yeah, goal from Salah, and yeah. wasn't it Newcastle, where he, where he pivots on it and, and buries it? Wasn't it Newcastle? Yeah. Adam Even Phillips? the list yeah, one, wasn't it? When Firmino did that turn at the King Power and Salah hit in, what a goal that was! Oh, I know which one you mean, Gav. He brought it down out the the sky and mm. then vol- like kind of yeah. half volley into yeah, it was a, yes, like yeah, an Ian Rush kind, like kind of Ian yeah. Rush sort of finish for me. Yeah, um, yeah. Firmino against Spurs, a great header. Um, somebody yeah. says there, mm. uh, or says. I'm trying to think though. I think, um, I think maybe the Allison goal gets gets the the kind of trumps it because of the because of the impact that yeah. that goal made. Like I said, we're all there, heart in mouths, heading up to the final whistle. It's almost like the last hurrah and we're thinking, fuck me, it's over. And we're go- and we're never going to be able to go to work in the morning and, and hold our heads. <laughs> I, I don't even want to, no, I'm going to phone the boss now and tell him I ain't fucking coming in. That, that's where I was at. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I am not you give it to big enough to the United game and then all of a sudden, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're giving it, you're giving it the large. Yeah. You're going yeah. in there, pumping your hand, thinking that you, you're on cloud nine, thinking, yeah, this is in the bag. And then the baggies turn up and frustrate. How Robson Carney, who doesn't know where the back of the net is, even if you put it in his front room, yeah, <laughs> pops up and scores a goal. We hit back and then you're thinking, fuck, they've, they've kind of blocked us out of the game. And Alison Becker turns up and says, no, sir. <laughs> I liked I liked them um, impact. I, I liked Mane's away at Everton. I liked that as yeah, well. Yeah, another good goal. Yeah, another good, good goal. goal. Yeah. Fast start. Another good goal. Uh, now the, the the one to finish is best signing, and I'm surprised by this uh, for for obvious reasons. And it was in the this league. Club. Yeah, best new signing. So best new signing yeah. for, okay. for Liverpool. Yeah. Oh, it, okay. Uh, so the vote. 
Diogo Jota was first with 46.7% of the vote. Thiago was second on 46% of the vote. Oh, Weirdly enough, Ben Davies came third with 6% of the vote. <laughs> <laughs> and Kabak came last with 1.4% of the vote. Me, me, me personally, I'm going Thiago. Uh, what about yourself, guys? Gav, I'll come to you first. Um, it's very hard to split them, but I would... Do you know what? I give it to Jota. I think I just go with Jota. I think, I think, do you know something? I think Thiago is unfortunate he gets injured and he's out and, and Jota the same. Um, but I think the way Jota came in and th- they've both contributed in the season you know, in, in, in a similar way because they were out for a similar amount of time and stuff like that. But I think the way Jota came in and hit the ground running and was just banging goals from early. I think that just tips them. But listen, I don't mind giving them half an award each because I'm just looking forward to seeing them in the team next season. But the way Jota comes in and he's an under-the-radar signing because I remember us doing the, the show on Thiago and people going, fucking Jota. You know, and it just kind of popped out of nowhere. Or we were talking about Thiago and Jota popped out of nowhere. And he comes in and people are like, and I remember Wolves fans saying, He's ran his course with us, what he's up to, and he just comes in and he's just like a, a breath of fresh air. And I think I think he had a huge influence. So just because he comes in and he hits that ground running so well, for me, I just give it to Jota. But I've no arguments if you want to give it to um, if you want to give it to Iago. I know who James is going to say, so I'll come to him in a second. Adam, <laughs> I'm just going to say leave, leave James to last because he'll sing Tiago's praises. <laughs> I, I can't split him. I mean, I look at the. You know, almost in half of the half of the season, the first half of the season was Jota came in, as you said, hit the ground running, hat trick in Atalanta, um, some really big important winners. I think he was even scoring headers international duty in between, and then came back and carried on for us. So he had that real purple patch, which I think everybody was just like, "Wow, what? Look at the sort of player we've just signed!" And that forty-five million, whatever it was, suddenly looked like a really, really good, true piece of business. But like you say, Jota fell off a little bit after that injury and I think he did get one goal, one or two goals after he came back, but it was never really the same. You know, he went on the longest run that he'd been with us without scoring and at the same time, Thiago really came through, didn't he? You know, as you mentioned, that last 10 games or so, I think without him in there, we don't win eight of those 10. I don't think we get top four without him either. So I think they're both as important as each other. Um in different parts and different periods of the season. And when we had to be that winning machine again, or at least the undefeated machine, you know, a player like Thiago's ability, as you say, almost a quarterback, but had that cover, you know, so it's like having, um, you know, the, the protection of your quarterback for the, for the Patriots. If he's not there, he can't do his job. And he put Fabinho next to him and he ran the show for the last 10. So I can't split him, but I'll let um James. Give Take his the opinion. floor, James. Yeah. Tiago, <laughs> Tiago Alcantara. <laughs> nah, look, boys, listen. The, the, let's let's just touch on a jot of run real quick. So, um, all through the summer, we were we were crying out for Werner, weren't we? We were crying for Timo Werner. Werner looked like he wanted Liverpool. Liverpool looked like he wanted Werner. And for whatever reason, the signing didn't materialise, and he's gone into a Chelsea shirt, and he can't hit a barn door. The kid's stinking out the place. Um, to be honest, with his performances. Um, and then we've gone and signed Jota, which looked like an anti-climax. The kids come in and done unbelievably well. Um, again, I've got a pal who's a Wolves fan, and he was like, look, you're welcome to him. You know, we've got Podence, we've got Neto, we've got Jimenez, um, whatever not. Yeah, you can have Jota, he's no good. And the kid's been on fire. 
since he since he got there. Um, taking the injuries out of it, if he'd have had a consistent run right the way through the whole season, we could have been talking about someone who's probably challenging for for top goal scorer because he was that effective. Um, but I cannot ignore the the way that Thiago plays the game. It it it's just makes football <sighs> fun. It makes football, yeah. It makes football fun. And look, he, he, for a long time, he's the first ready-made player which we've gone and brought. He's the first finished article which which we, which we've brought. And yeah. you know, I almost feel like we, you know, we before the injuries, we had a lovely cake, and the cake looked beautiful. But we just needed that little bit of icing, a little bit of fonting on top, hmm. just to make it just to make it that bit sweeter. And that's what Tiago does. And my God, the passing ability, the the way he breaks the lines, the the way he bosses the midfield. If you watch him closely, the way that he communicates with the other players around him, the authority that he has, and he's saying, no, you get over there because that's where the ball's going. Don't come in here. I've got this locked. You get over there. And just, yeah, it, it for me, it's Thiago. It's always going to be Thiago. You know, that he could, he, could be having, he could be having a stinker and I'm always going to back him. So, <laughs> You've got to know your kid's name, Thiago, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm in now, ain't I? I'm in. <laughs> Now, lads, I'm, I'm going to let you go shortly because we've gone way, way, way over time. There's a couple of uh, housekeeping bits that I want to call out before we wrap up. The big one being subscribers. We're nearly at the 10K, Gav. What is the official count last time I'm looking? Jeez, oh, I don't know. Hold on. It's that close. It's that close. So basically, the general rule is before Gav reveals how close okay. we actually are 48 um, away from 10,000. Oh. Well, okay. Come on, guys. So anybody that is watching or if you know anybody that would like to win a PlayStation and FIFA 21, because we will be giving that away to a subscriber when we hit the 10K, tell your mates, subscribe, click the button now. It won't take you more than a second. Get it done and you'll be in with a chance of winning the PlayStation. And, you know, there's been a hell of a lot of work put in uh, by the lads, you know, to, to get us to this point. And it's, it's one of the first milestones that we want to tick off. So if you could be so kind to subscribe, that would be fantastic. Now, a uh, couple of other bits to call out. Football prizes, uh, as I said at the start of the show, if you want to win a signed and framed Stephen Gerrard jersey, the tickets will cost you only $3.95. There are 99 tickets available and the offer ends next Wednesday. So that's footballprizes.co.uk. Go check them out. Uh, as always, if you want to send us your thoughts, uh, thoughts, opinions, who you want us to buy over the summer, who you want us to get rid of, it doesn't matter if you've got an opinion. We will get it up on the website. Send it to lfcdaytrippers at gmail.com. Gav? Uh, anything from your side to call out before we wrap up? Um, the new shop is open um, on the website, lfcdt.com forward slash shop. And get in there. Um, there's new designs going up um, every couple of days. Uh, there was a new um, Dag Leash um, inspired one that went up today. And, of course, um, the appeal for the young girl, Sienna. Um, hashtag Sienna Steps. If you go to lfcdt.com forward slash Sienna, you can see the details on our GoFundMe. You can see the details where you can sign up for our 5k challenge with all proceeds going to Sienna. And of course, on the shop, you will see a Sienna range and every, um, 100% of profit made of anything sold with Sienna's name on it will go straight to her. Um, but one last thing I want to give a shout out, um, to is, Kev O'Sullivan is a listener and a viewer to this show. And um, 
just before we come on, I got news that Kev has, has got some bad news um, in his in his life personally. I don't want to go into details, but if you have a way of contacting Kev and telling him you're thinking of him, um, absolutely go and do that. We're talking about 10,000 subscribers here and we, we've also, it's look, we've put work in, but it's being pushed by the people that subscribe and watch because they were the ones, real, realistically, they were the ones that told us to do this when COVID came about and we just followed their instruction and we, we go on about how we have a community and people that are loyal to us and we feel like we know them and, you know, we can talk to them and they can come to us about any issue they have. And um, so I just wanted to say tonight that if you have a way of contacting Kev via DM, just say, all you have to do is send him a message saying, thinking of your buddy and he will get it. And um, that that's all you need to do. So um, I just wanted to give Kev a shout because he's a long time listener. He's a long time viewer. He's viewing since we started this. He helps us out in the background moderating. He jumps onto shows if we're ever stuck. He's a top, top, top fella. And um, at the moment, he's having a bit of a hard time. I'm not going into details on it. But um, if you could just send him a message and to say, well done or not well done, but, you know, heads up or whatever you want, whatever way you want to do it personally. I just wanted to give that shout out to him. Well said, Gav. Keep your chin up, uh, Kevin. And if you need us, get in touch, mate. We'll always be here. Lads, before we wrap up, uh, tell us a little bit about the Red Sea podcast. Where can we find it? What have you got coming up? Yeah, yeah. so yeah. the Red Sea pod. God. Um, so we're, we're a relatively new Liverpool fan channel, but as you can see, we, we bring all the heat. Um, I am TF, <laughs> Tiago's father, 89. This is my co-host, SS, Southern Scouser. And essentially, we're just bringing some of the hottest Liverpool content on our channel that you can find. Um, really, that's about it. We've got a lot coming up, but I'll hand over to my my co-host, my Cody. You know what's popping off, don't you, pal? What's going on? That's it, mate. No, that's right. I mean, we're we're one of the fastest growing Liverpool channels on, on Twitter, aren't we? So at the Red Sea Pod, go and check us out. Um, but yeah, we've got different bits and pieces coming up. We've got a, 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 a tier list um, series where we've ranking all the specific positions from about the mid 70s so we're we're on one one tomorrow doing some cdms next so you know Sunes, haman mascherano that man fabinho so definitely check that one out tomorrow but yeah we've got our own season review coming up at the weekend we've got transfer tuesdays to keep you up to date over the summer and we've got the kit review on the 3rd of june as well so lots and lots of stuff on the red sea yeah guys mate Make sure you jump over and check out the kit review. Um, it's going to be good. We've got a bit of inside track on a few bits on there as well. We're going to be discussing the actual makeup of the kit as well. So we're not just going to be going, oh, it looks lovely. There's a few bits of detail on there, which mean a few bits to the club. So I really, really want to kind of bring that to supporters and so they know, you know, the new kit has some kind of meaning behind it. And it's not just something Nike have dreamt up. Um, you know, over over the last season. And my God, I can't wait to get my hands on that away shirt. I mean, I was yeah. quite lucky to have the the new kit slightly early um, and I didn't want to put it on yet, but all the fans on the Twitter are all putting theirs up going, we've got ours. And I was like, oh, go on then. May as well <laughs> throw mine on too. Um, but yeah, seriously, it's a pleasure being invited over um, by LFC Day Trippers, um, you know, over to the channel to do a show with these guys as well. Um, and guys, look, as we always say, we're football fans first, Liverpool fans after. So me personally, I'll talk Bundesliga, I'll talk La Liga, I'll talk I'll talk Serie A, I'll talk, you know, any football you want to talk, League One, League Two, whatever you want to talk about, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. And the same as my co-host here, we love the game and it's just about appreciating um, the game uh, for what for what it really, really is. 
Love that. What a way to finish. Just one quick shout out from me. Just uh, sending my thoughts to uh, the families of the 96 uh, who I'm not going to go into detail. We all know what happened today, but uh, you're forever in our thoughts. Um, now, with that, I'll let you all go, lads. It's been a, a been a long one. Uh, thank you, as always, to Gav, James, Adam. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Big thank you to everybody in the chat. Um, I always I always look forward to to chatting with everybody every Wednesday. So thank you for your input. If you would be so kind, if you can leave us a comment underneath this video, if you can like this video, it not only helps us make the shows get better, but it also helps us get the content out there to new audiences as well. So just take the quick time to give us a little like and let us know what you thought of the show that would be very much appreciated so with that hope you've all enjoyed it it looks like we've got an exciting summer ahead for the reds and the trippers will be with you every step of the way so stick with us look after yourselves all the best sports social podcast network